0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, Very well welcome to this Friday edition of Squatbox. These are your headlines. Not face to face, but still head to head. President Donald Trump and his Democratic rival Joe Biden trade barbs in separate town hall appearances, once again clashing over the virus response just three weeks ahead of the election.
1: I'm good with masks. I'm okay with masks. I tell people wear masks. But just the other day, they came out with a statement that 85% of the people that wear masks catch it.
2: We missed enormous opportunities and kept saying things that weren't true. It's going to go away by Easter. Don't worry about it. It's going to all, when the, heat, when the when the summer comes, it's all going to go away like a miracle. He's still saying those things. I
0: will swear the president says the White House can raise its stimulus package offer, putting pressure on Stephen Mnuchin to, quote, bring home the bacon. As the Treasury Secretary tells CNBC House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is the problem.
2: The only explanation is that, you know, she is holding out for an all or nothing. Uh, whether you want to call that politics or something else, it's 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 unfortunate, but we're going to keep trying.
3: ECB President Christine Lagarde tells CNBC that Europe is still in the long grass, saying the central bank has an arsenal of measures ready while warning the U.S. election is also causing volatility.
4: Is governing our decision. Uh, making at the moment is uncertainty. So the less there is around, the better we are. And I think that, you know, comes early November, we'll be in a better place uh, on that front of uncertainty that, uh, that prevails in the United States.
3: The World Health Organization says COVID drug remdesivir has limited to no effect on coronavirus patients, dealing a blow to one of the most touted treatments recently used by President Trump.
0: And handbags helping LVMH through a tough quarter as leather goods sales rise back into positive territory despite a 7% drop in like-for-like group sales. We've already got so many questions about the headlines. What does Christine Lagarde mean about the long grass? We'll ask Jeff about that later on as well. Who's buying handbags? All this stuff and more. But let's first of all get to the presidential debates. No, let me call them town halls, of course, because they were separate occurrences last night. The US President Donald Trump and Democratic rival Joe Biden went kind of head to head last night, but not in the way. Uh, that was planned. Both candidates held simultaneous town halls nearly 1,200 miles apart uh, instead of face-to-face debates. Uh, That was scrapped, of course, after the president tested positive for COVID-19. And then, now he's negative, has declined to take part in a virtual one. The president defended his handling of the pandemic uh, during the NBC town hall, but was, uh, I guess, a bit evasive when asked whether he took a test on the day of the first debate.
1: I test quite a bit and I can tell you that before the debate which I thought it was a very good debate and I felt fantastically I I was I had no problem before. Did you test the day of the debate? Uh, I don't know I don't even remember I test all the time but I I can tell you this uh, after the debate like I guess a day or so I think it was Thursday evening maybe even late Thursday evening uh, I tested positive that's when I first found out. Well back to the debate because the debate commission's rules it was the honor system would be that you would come with a negative test you say you don't know if you got a test on the day of the debate. I have no problem again the doctors do it I don't ask them I, I test all the time and they, did you take a test, though, you, on the day know, of the debate? You know, if you ask the doctor, they'll give you a perfect answer. Yeah. But they take a test, and I leave, and I go about so my you, business. So did you take a test on the day of the debate, I guess, uh, is the I bottom line? I probably did, and I took a test the day before and the day before, and I was always in great shape. And I was in great shape for the debate, and it was only after the debate, like a period of time after the debate, that... I said, that's interesting, and they took a test and a tested positive. So just to button it up, do you take a test every single day? No, no, but I take a lot of tests. Okay, and you don't know if you took a test the day of the debate? Uh, uh, possibly I did, possibly I didn't, but you know the doctor is very accurate information.
0: It was great. There were so many great parts of that debate. Actually, uh, hats off to our NBC colleague. Well, speaking to ABC in Philadelphia, also a very good debate. The former vice president, Mr. Biden, slammed Trump's response to the pandemic, accusing him of hiding the severity of the virus to protect the stock market.
2: When the president doesn't wear a mask or makes fun of folks like me when I was wearing a mask for a long time. Then, you know, people
0: say, well, it mustn't be that important. Right, well let's uh, get a little bit more on some of the big moments of the night. NBC's Alice Bar breaks down those moments.
5: Hall with President Donald Trump. A socially distanced showdown tonight with the two presidential candidates answering voters' questions in simultaneous town halls with very different tones. On stage in Miami, President Trump often arguing in fiery exchanges with NBC News' Savannah Guthrie. Joe Biden taking a softer approach in Philadelphia on ABC News with George Stephanopoulos. The pandemic shaping the format and dominating the conversation as coronavirus cases are on the rise again across the country
2: there's a presidential responsibility to lead and he didn't do that he didn't talk about what needed to be done because he kept worrying in my view about the stock market
1: and we have done an amazing job and It's rounding the corner and we have the vaccines coming and we have the therapies coming.
5: The president two weeks out from his COVID diagnosis on defense over when he caught it and whether he took a required test before the last presidential debate. And you don't know if you took a test the day of the debate. Uh,
1: uh, Possibly I did, possibly I didn't.
5: Questions from the audience zeroing in on the economy with millions of Americans still out of work.
1: We've given you the greatest tax cut in the history of our country, greatest regulation cut, equally as important. And we created new levels of jobs that nobody thought was possible. And next year is going to be better than ever before.
2: I will create 18.6 million new jobs, good-paying jobs, number one. Number two, and I'll increase, the GDP will grow by a trillion dollars more than it would under Trump and 7 million more jobs than under Trump.
5: President Trump, for the first time, committing to a peaceful transfer of power if he were to lose, while still casting doubt on the election results.
1: Will you accept a peaceful transfer? And the answer is yes, I will. But I want it to be an honest election, and so does everybody else.
5: The two men vying for the White House tonight competing for viewers. They're each hoping to turn into voters. In Washington, Alice Barr, NBC News.
0: Okay, uh, the ECB president, Christine Lagarde, told... It says here CNBC moderated panel. It it wasn't. It was Jeff. It was uh, Jeff conducting an IMF panel. uh, And, uh, well, she talked about the uncertainty and whether it will diminish after the November election.
4: Is governing our uh, decision-making at the moment is uncertainty. So, the less there is around, the better we are. And I think that, you know, comes early November, we'll be in a better place uh, on that front of uncertainty that, uh, that prevails in the United States.
3: President Trump says he is willing to raise his administration's 1.8 trillion dollar stimulus offer. The comments were met with resistance from top congressional Republicans who have pushed for narrow targeted relief rather than a comprehensive bill. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin told House Speaker Nancy Pelosi that Trump would personally lean on his party to get behind a stimulus deal if it is reached.
2: I don't see any logical reason at this point with 3 weeks left to the election why we can't move forward and agree on the $300 billion that uh, we have left. It's sitting in the Treasury bank account, ready to go. It was money that was appropriated last time. Uh, so I-, I guess the only explanation is that, you know, she is holding out for an all or nothing. Uh, whether you want to call that politics or something else, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. But we're going to keep trying.
3: IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gorgieva says a fiscal support package would be required to ensure an economic recovery.
6: The uh, US economy has two levers, monetary policy and fiscal policy. Of course, it is best uh, if they are used together in combination. Uh, We have to recognize that in the first round of action that was done very effectively. And, uh, uh, of course, it would be uh, highly desirable that the fiscal lever is also put in place. But we have a way to go with this crisis. Uh, We are going to have that need of using fiscal space, and thank God the United States has fiscal space, uh, not just this month and the next. Uh, It will be necessary further down the road. Uh, So let's see how quickly it would be deployed. But I have no doubt it will be deployed because it is necessary.
3: Kristalina Gorgieva there. Well, let's circle back to the twin debate, Steve, because I think the market very much focused on what they're gleaning from them. And I think one of the big takeaways was that we were spared a, a second debate that, in fact, you had these conversations that took place which indicated you could have had just as much acrimony between the two men, as much interrupting and interjecting as we saw in the first round. But this time around, I think there was a distinct difference in the, the town halls, not just the format of course, but what was communicated. And Trump was tackling a, a number of issues, uh, for instance, around one of the big conspiracy theory groups. He refused to uh, to talk them down and uh, refute some of the conversations, items that they'd raised up in some of the social media blogs. Also uh, expressed scepticism about mask wearing. That one came out in the clip. He uh, also uh, threw some criticism at his, his uh, own FBI director, attacked the legitimacy of the 2020 election. So a lot of different topics really crossing. Uh, a lot of that, that Trump style of just throwing everything at the screen. Whereas when it came to Biden, very much lazy are focused on the pandemic. That's probably possibly where the Democrats think they can make more mileage in the remaining weeks left before the 3rd of November, Steve.
0: Yeah, there's lots to unpack. And I, I thought they were both fascinating debates, actually. But look, look, the one that's clearly gained the attention stateside is Savannah Guthrie's uh, debate with the president. And I say debate with the president rather than uh, um, questioning, because that's what both Fox News on one side of the political spectrum stateside and the New York Times, which is possibly on the other side of the spectrum... Both of them at the top of their editorials have gone in as well. For instance, um, uh, the uh, uh, the Trump town hall. Uh, Trump had to debate Guthrie at town hall, so says Fox News. Well, uh, the New York Times pretty much agrees, which is quite extraordinary here. They get the New York Times and uh, uh, and Fox News agreeing. Uh, Trump's combative town hall stands in stark contrast with the Biden event as well, uh, basically saying that Savannah Guthrie went after the president, as you say, on some key issues from QAnon to mask wearing to one. Supremacy, uh, wherever there's uh, on the um, ABC um, panel uh, or begging pardon, town hall, uh, they're saying that uh, Biden was softballed and, and had a pretty sober policy debate as well. So, very interesting. The styles of the town hall have been brought into focus as well. What have we learned for our world, though, Karen, um, for the markets? And I would suggest absolutely nothing as well. In fact, perhaps the key comments are the fact that the president's still open to some form of fiscal stimulus uh, before the election. We've got less and three weeks to go now.
3: Now, I wonder I, to what point either are convincing voters to join them at this point? We're talking yesterday yesterday about 15 million voters who have already gone to the polls, already cast their vote. You know, what did we learn that was new? I don't know. Trump's uh, communication, that scattergun approach that he, he often uses, will that convince more voters to sign up for the election? And if you think about the ramifications of that, the market is now pricing in this blue wave victory. So the fact we didn't learn much more, if the polls don't move too much from here, that it could suggest market pricing remains where it is. And uh, President Trump, of course, trying to get back on the agenda of his economic handling, but uh, that's been dented by what's happened with the pandemic. Biden, on on the other hand, seizing upon some of the market analysis from Moody's that his policies would actually be supportive for the economy, very much embracing that report uh, and, again, returning that uh, back on on the television town hall. So I think we didn't learn anything, but that's, in in a way, also market relevant because it's not changing some of the market positioning at this point.
0: So we haven't talked about that that the Hunter Biden Twitter issue at the moment as well and whether there was censorship from Uh, Twitter towards uh, the revelations in one of the uh, U.S. newspapers regarding Hunter Biden as well. And of course, that was something that the president uh, has been focusing on and and the the Republicans have been looking at as well. And I think that's the kind of issue that actually may sway some people as well, because when you think about the last election, uh, what were the key issues that uh, the Secretary of State Clinton uh, and indeed the Republican candidate, as he was then, uh, were basically Continually, continually bringing to the fore. And it was from the Republican side uh, the uh, issues over Libya uh, and the disaster that was Benghazi, and indeed the Secretary of State. Um, home server. And it's very interesting to see whether it's real big policy issues or other issues around the periphery that come to the fore this time around and stay in the focus of the um, voters who, as you and I pointed out yesterday, Karen, are voting in their droves in early stages uh, in many of these um, elections as well, getting their votes in very early, massively compared with last time round. So lots of issues. But in terms of far as the markets are concerned, well, we'll come to that in a moment. I don't know if it's moving the needle at the moment, so I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but we will uh, we will find out, won't we? Um, in the meantime, not great data, I'm afraid, yesterday. The US weekly jobless claims have hit their highest level since mid-August, coming in above uh, estimates at 898,000. 898,000 new jobless claims. But continuing claims fell sharply down 1.2 million to just over 10 million people. Now, the rise in unemployment claims comes as cases continue Uh, to rise whilst uh, fears grow over another wave in the winter. Uh, Let's take a look at some of these U.S. markets as well. So this is the performance uh, of the U.S. indices yesterday. And straight away, our viewers will know, if you haven't looked since uh, early evening yesterday, that actually there's a much better performance on the U.S. indices uh, than you could have expected at one stage. Don't forget, we came into the U.S. session yesterday with the major European indices absolutely hit for six, Um, In fact, where we closed yesterday on some of the European indices was pretty appalling, really. If you are long the market, again, if you're short, and I'd really hasten to add, this is a two-way market. You had a really good day. Dax was down 2.5%, the worst of the major European indices. But look at this: the Dow was down 0.07 of a percent. The S&P 500 down 0.151%. And actually, because they were negatives, but I would call that flat in in real terms. Actually, that's four out of four days um, that we've seen. Um, basically uh, the S&P under pressure to the downside. Now, the Dow actually having um, three out of three down, having had four out of four up. And this is my point about the political debate not really moving the market needle, is it? You're having big oscillations, but really what's changing in terms of the framing of the debate? What's changing in the lead in the polls for Mr. Biden? At the moment, I can't see anything, but I am hastened to add, I did have a correspondent from Arizona yesterday, and I appreciate your email, saying it's fake news, the polls. We will find out in three weeks time, won't we, which, which whether the polls are right or whether they got it wrong again. So have a look at the week-to-date moves, actually, on these U.S. indices as well. And you can see, really non-committal, on the S&P and the Dow, up two-tenths of 1% for the S&P, uh, the Dow down 0.3 of 1%. But we are seeing, again, a bit of money coming into those high-growth stocks, and this is the big, big debate. I think Goldman's is the latest to jump back into this debate about value stocks, about cyclical stocks uh, versus the growth stocks we've seen, which have been dominating the NASDAQ and dominating those inclines for the NASDAQ. I will mention the Dow Transports one more time, actually. This is the week-to-date move. so. Okay, it's it's a decent move to the upside, nine temps. But the point here is, yet again, yesterday we saw record levels on the Dow transports as well, and it's a real mix. You look at these subsectors, indeed, we did yesterday, uh, thanks to uh, one of my colleagues in the States, that's giving us the list. You look at it, you think, well, you've got some of those airlines which are absolutely knocked for six there, but against that, you've got some of the transportation companies and the rail companies which are moving more freight than they've ever done. Because of the the, the way that shopping is now, the way that commerce is, the way that business is, and and then the splurge we're seeing in online, so it's a very mixed picture. Even within the Dow transports as well, but net net, it's taken us to record levels. Okay, these European closes I mentioned them briefly. They were absolutely atrocious if you were long yesterday. Although the FTSE did, uh, as Karen was pointing out in the show yesterday, it, it had a much lower. uh, trading point at one point down 2.1, 2.2. It was worse yesterday across the board. It was um, real heavy selling uh, on the FTSE, but it managed to claw back above 5,800, 5,832. Uh, but the Zetra as you can see, down 2.49%. I guess one factor uh, to keep an eye on again on the FTSE is this 130 handle on the uh, FTSE one hub on the big pond on the cable pair as well, which is basically being. Dominated by the rhetoric, the stream of rhetoric we're getting out of both Burleymore, the European Council meeting, and indeed uh, from the British side of these Brexit negotiations. Right, let's have a look at the uh, Asian indices. Hang Sang's making a good move to the upside today 1% to the good, ASX 100. Uh, down five-tenths, uh, Shanghai Composite down two-tenths, and the Nikkei down four-tenths. I haven't actually got for you the, uh, the Kospi up at the moment. I'll get you a print on that as well. well I'd be interested to see how day two of the big hit entertainment um, shares are going after that extraordinary rise yesterday. And uh, it's certainly an education for me, Karen, learning a little bit more about BTS. The uh, Well, they were a boy group, now they're a young men group.
3: Yeah, let's see whether investors are singing to the same tune for a second day, Steve. Uh, Meantime, uh, let's push on to what our dear colleague Jeff has been up to yesterday. ECB President Christine Lagarde has hailed the European economic response to the pandemic, telling CNBC-moderated IMF panel that the measures put in place have secured the intended response.
4: I look at my own corner uh, to actually see fiscal and monetary policies work together in the same direction and support each other in many ways, number one. Number two, seeing all 27 European countries decide that they're going to borrow jointly in order to give grants to those most affected by the crisis was also totally unheard of. And I would say that the magnitude of the support that we put in place has actually produced exactly the effects that we intended. In other words, we wanted to stabilise markets, we did that. We wanted to make sure that the risk of fragmentation would totally go away. When I look at the current situation, it is certainly the case. And we especially wanted to make sure that the real economy, you know, the the, the, the families, the enterprises, small, medium-sized and large ones, would have access to, to credit, would be able to borrow from banks. And we've put in place huge programs in order to make sure that financing would be available without much restriction.
0: Yeah, we'll have more of uh, Jeff's debate there. And uh, of course, coming up on the show, the IMF Managing Director, Kristalina Gogieva, urges global leaders to continue talks on, wait for it, yep, digital taxation. As she expresses confidence, and I think that's very interesting, she's confident a deal will be struck. I'm encouraged that the
6: discussions continue. It would be the optimal solution to have digital taxation that is applied universally, globally, and uh, let's not give up on getting to this optimal solution.
5: Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the
0: podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal, and me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and Find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify,
5: Apple Music and Google Podcasts.
0: Sorry, I've been trying to drum into you for a long while, and this is concern over bilateral versus multilateral, certainly for those globalists amongst you out there. Now, the chair of the International Vaccine Alliance, Gavi, As warned, countries are increasingly, and this is the point, relying on bilateral trade agreements, which often uh, result in heightened tensions and disputes. Now, speaking to Jeff at the CNBC IMF debate on the global economy, Ngozi Okonjo-Wheeler, who incidentally is uh, in the final two to become the new boss of the WTO, uh, called on governments to put their trust back in multilateral institutions
6: the sooner everyone will be able to get back to that system instead of the kind of bilateral uh, deals or difficulties that we see countries getting into now. So that's what I'd say. Let us get back to a multilateral system. Let's strengthen that. That is what will serve the world. And uh, let's do less of the bilateral uh, spats that we see.
3: IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gogieva also called for greater cooperation between countries as she urged global leaders to continue talks and a bid to secure a deal on digital taxes. Makes no sense
6: to use money today to invest in the economy of yesterday. We ought to invest in the economy of uh, tomorrow uh, and do so with a sense that it is, it is important to be a just transition. Inevitably, governments would be looking for ways in which they can raise revenues. They would need to do that. We are on the view that uh, some progressivity in taxation and also reshaping taxation towards the uh, shape of the economy of tomorrow would be necessary and would be positive for societies. We also would like to see very much concentration on quality of spending. So a moment of transformation not to be missed. Well, you raised the issue of taxation.
0: So let me ask you, um, is it time that regardless of the views of the world's two tech leaders, the United States and China, the rest of the world pushes ahead with a digital tax, whether they like it or not?
6: Uh, Jeff, I'm a um, an optimist, and I believe that ultimately there would be a uh, multilateral solution to uh, digital taxation. So I'm disappointed it hasn't yet uh, arrived, uh, but I'm encouraged that the discussions continue. It would be the optimal solution to have digital taxation that is applied universally globally, And uh, let's not give up on getting to this optimal solution, because indeed, uh, if it doesn't come uh, in a way that is um, internationally uh, accepted, it would come in a piecemeal uh, manner. And uh, we will have to then fix
0: it because it would not be the best solution for the world. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com.